Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our Sunday service here at Ananda Village in the Temple of Light. Welcome to all of you here in person and those of you view viewing online. I'll be reading, um, my name is Nayaswami Krishnadas, Nayaswami Mantradevi. We're blessed to be here offering you this Sunday service. I'll be reading from Rays of the One Light, weekly commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. This week's reading, Who are True Christians? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Jesus Christ said in chapter 10 of the Gospel of St. John, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Many Christians, not surprisingly, quote this saying in condemnation of other spiritual teachers. Not only the Old Testament prophets, but also Buddha, Krishna, and others who lived before Jesus. As well as by inference, any who came after him. Yet Jesus himself in St. Matthew chapter 5, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Nowhere do we find Jesus condemning or even gently criticizing other spiritual masters. His criticisms were reserved for worldly attitudes and for those hypocritical Pharisees who had allowed religion to become, for them, a pretense. Paramahansa Yogananda explained that the expression, all that ever came before me, referred to those spiritual teachers who placed their egos and their self-importance ahead of the Christ consciousness in the sense of drawing people's devotion to themselves and not offering it where alone it truly belongs to God. Yogananda himself was very firm in this regard. For example, he never spoke of anyone as his disciple. Instead, he always insisted, they are God's disciples. God is the guru, not I. Ego is a way station on the soul's journey toward enlightenment. The soul is first trapped in lower bodily forms. Slowly it evolves to the human level, at which point self-consciousness appears. Only in human form can self-consciousness transcend material form altogether including the lower identity of ego consciousness, and discover the true divine self within. Self-consciousness manifested as ego is an incentive to deliberate self-development. Later in this process of, of development, however, the ego becomes an obstruction. Inevitably, new spiritual aspirants, aspirants do not emerge effortlessly from the vortex of ego consciousness. 
Desire must be offered up resolutely and ever more wholeheartedly on the altar of infinity. It is a gradual process, and few even among those who seek to help others are free of ego. If, however, their motive in teaching is not to serve, but to be served, they deserve a severe reprimand, as Jesus gave them. For their direction of development is no longer upward, but downward. In the name of giving up desires, they are creating new ones. As it says in the Bhagavad Gita in the third chapter, desire obscures even the wisdom of the wise. Their relentless foe it is, a flame never quenched. Intellect, mind, and senses, these combined are referred to as the seat of desire. Desire through them deludes and eclipses the discrimination of the embodied soul. O Arjuna, discipline your senses, and having done so, work to destroy desire, annihilator of wisdom and of self-realization. Give God the credit for everything you do. See him as the true doer. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Good morning, everyone. It's my joy to welcome you also to Sunday service. So let's begin with a reading from Whispers from Eternity, Poems and Prayers by our Guru Paramahansa Yogananda. You know, every, every time I, I pray and I open the book and Master picks the reading and he unerringly comes to the right one. <laughs> Much better than if I searched around and read it all. So this one is, I am here. Thou art, I know, everywhere. I'm not going to read the whole thing, the first half. I'm going to read the second half. It's very long. Thou art, I know, everywhere. Yet thou seemest nowhere, lost in unplumbed space, where none may clasp thee or behold thy face. Yes, despairing. I seized my fruitless search, turned bodily away from thee. My ploy was unsuccessful. Still, still no answer from the wrathful sea and only whispers from the friendly tree. Naught but silence from the limitless blue sky, silence from valleys low and mountains high. Like a hurt child within the depths of me, I hid and sulked, no longer seeking thee. And then, lo, suddenly, unheralded, an unseen hand snatched from my eyes that all-black band, which had blinded me for so long with fold on fold. 
No longer weary, but filled with strength untold, I stood and gazed again, a laughing sea instead of a wrathful roars, a gay glad world with mystically opening doors, with only mists of dreams between, someone beside me stood unseen and whispered to me calm and clear, hello playmate, I am here. So this reading today on who are true Christians, and Jesus was referring to those who live in their egos and are in ignorance of the uh, divine laws and the cosmic reality. This cute little story I'm about to tell, it, it epitomizes this subject and it really illustrates what it's all about. There was a little girl and her mother, her father was a minister in a church and one day he was in his office writing his sermon. And she came in and she sat down and she watched him quietly for a while. And then she said, Daddy, where do your sermons come from? And he said, they come from God, honey. So she took that in and she sat there silently for a while and watching him. And then she said, well, why do you keep crossing things out? <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of like what we do, right? We're getting it from God, but we keep recrossing it out and rewriting it. And in Genesis, it says that God made man in his image. And ever since, we've been trying to make God in our image. And why is that? It's because we live through our senses. And living through our senses, we get a very different reality of what the reality is, the cosmic reality. We are constantly oh, thinking about our bodies, about what we should wear, what we look like, what other people might think of us. Um, we, are we healthy? Are we not eating well enough? Are we getting enough exercise? Oh, we'd like to try to change our bodies. We, if we're clever, then we feel proud of ourselves, and if we're not clever, then we feel badly. It's like this, our senses are feeding our minds all the time, constantly, constantly. And um, even though we know this is a dream, right? We've been told this, and we, on one hand, we know we're just dreaming God's dream, but we keep insisting, no, my reality is right. My reality is the true reality. And so as we um, try to change the world and we try to control it, like the woman who didn't want to take Korea because she wanted to get married and she didn't want the husband pool to get any smaller. <laughs> so she's, she's trying to control and thinks, okay, that this is going to be a reality for her. And eventually she did take Korea and it turned out that um, marriage probably wasn't in her life. And so we keep trying to make things work in the way that we think it should work and keep putting our reality onto the world and onto other people. And who though are the true Christians? And Master said that he came to bring the second coming of Christ. 
He said, he came to bring not a new religion, but a new expression of an old religion. And so as we, we realize that, okay, he's coming to tell us that the old is being re, what's the word? Where it's, it's being redefined. He's bringing us a new reality and one that we can really, really relate to. But many people couldn't relate it to before when Jesus was here. And so that is a reality that we're all trying to tune into. You know, Swami Kriyananda, in his later years, he started talking about how he wouldn't be here much longer. And of course, this made people really sad. And some people would say to him, oh, Swami, we need you. We really need you. And um, in other words, Swami, please don't leave. And one time in a satsang in India, he really clarified that. And he said, you know, although I'm not indifferent to the needs of people, I'm not living to please people. I'm living to please my guru. And this is what he just gave us a new reality in saying that. He said it's that he didn't live in his senses. And what was it that he didn't do? He didn't take things personally. He would say, no, I'm just responsible for this event that is Swami Kriyananda. He didn't take everything as relating to this little mind and body. He saw the bigger picture, and he was always looking to the bigger picture. And the many saints, this is what their reality was. Mother Teresa, she said, when somebody mentioned about the importance of her working with the poor, and she said, I'm not here to serve the poor. I'm here to serve Jesus. And so we get caught up in this over and over again, don't we? But Master came and said, okay, here's a new religion. One time I did a baptism ceremony for a woman and her two children. And the next day the woman called me and she said, my daughter asked a question that I couldn't answer. And her daughter's question was a very good one. She said, Mom, what religion are we? And Master said that we are self-realizationists. That is our religion. It actually supersedes all the other religions and includes them at the same time. And that is the path that all saints are walking and they pay attention to. When Gandhi was going to go and visit the Muslim sector in Calcutta, and nobody wanted him to go. It was a tumultuous time, and uh, it was dangerous. And even the authorities didn't want him to go. And they said, sir, we're not, we can't guarantee your safety. But Gandhi, being who he was, he was in his car and uh, was ready to go, and a group of Orthodox Hindus were gathered around. And one of them was saying, Babu, Babu, don't go. Don't go, Babu. Don't do it. Don't do it. And Gandhi, by then, he was a little, you know, impatient with all of their arguments. And he said, what is it you don't want me to do? 
And the man said, don't go, don't go. They were afraid for him. And he said, I am a Muslim. I am a Christian. I am a Hindu. And he drove off. And of course, we know that he ended up being safe. But he was making a statement, and it was a very clear statement, that this is um, what he needed to do because he was helping clarify that reality. And that is what saints have come over and over again to do, is to clarify the true reality. And Swamiji, one time in, in the same satsang, actually, that he talked about um, serving master and that being his reality, uh, someone said to him, um, Swamiji, how did you always keep the consciousness of God when you went through tests in your life? And Swami said, what tests? And he didn't look at his life that way. That's not how he looked at it. He looked at it, well, remember he said, I love a challenge. And that's what he would see. He would see the challenges in his life. And he said, well, these so-called tests are simply opportunities to get rid of a delusion. And that this is God's gift to you. Because once you go through that delusion, then it's gone as if it was never there. And so this is what the um, saints are telling us over and over again. And also what we need to learn more and more, more and more deeply. It's like there's another reality happening. It's not the reality that we keep looking to and the reality that we keep uh, calibrating our life on. It's really important to look at it in another way because when we don't look at it in that way, when we relate too much to being in our bodies, relating to having our relationships and relating to this reality and that reality on this plane, then God takes something away from us. And that's, we call it a test, but he's giving us a gift to work through that delusion, whatever that delusion may be. There was a, a disciple and of master and she woke up and she was in the hospital. She was in the operating room. She had just come back from a life-challenging uh, operation. And the doctor had just told her that her cancer was inoperable and that uh, they couldn't do anything for her except to give her a colostomy and to sew her back up. And she was in great pain because the anesthetic had worn off and it wasn't time yet to get pain medication. And she just felt trapped. She was, here she had tubes down her throat and nose and she had needles in her veins, tubes going to these machines, and she was just in a dark abyss. She just was at the lowest point she'd ever been at. And she, she thought, well, what am I going to do here? And she knew that at that moment, she could have let go. She could have passed. But she said, I'm not so afraid of death. 
but I don't want to pass feeling so abysmal and in despair. I don't want to be in this consciousness when I pass from this body. So she, with all her heart and mind and strength, she prayed to Master. She said, Master, help me. And she said it was instantaneous. Suddenly she was filled with divine light. She was filled with, with joy. She was filled with bliss. And she was filled with a love that she knew that every single soul felt from God or could feel and had from God, that he loved us all with unconditional love. It was, it was overwhelming. And then she prayed and she said, Master, I don't, I don't, I've always wanted to accept everything that you've given me. And I want to live. I want to keep meditating and helping people. But if it's your will that I pass on to higher realms, then I accept that. And she felt like that was a pivotal point because she felt this divine love, but she wasn't yet out of that pain and misery. And then she felt at that moment, Master say, I will be with you. I am here and will go with you, go through this with you. And I will give you a divine key. And he said that key is gratitude. Isn't that interesting? He said those, those words that he said, I am here. And this was the reading that I read, I am here. So we know that God is always here with us when we need him. And that's what he said. He said, I am here when you need me, when your greatest need come. He said, the key I'm going to give you is gratitude. For every pill that you take, for every tube that comes out of you, for every needle that goes in you, for the doctors, for the nurses, feel gratitude. And do this unerringly and constantly. And so it wasn't like she climbed out immediately, but she kept applying this. She kept being grateful. And every day got a little bit better. She was in intensive care for about six days. And then she was given a lovely private room. And there was such an amazing difference in her. And the love never left her. And the doctors and nurses started coming in just to be with her. And people started asking her to pray for them. And they would come in, and, and many people said that they were changed just by being around her. One doctor said the hospital would never be the same. And so that divine bliss it was there, but she had to call on it. And she said after she got out of the hospital and she was walking on the ocean with her family, and there out in the bay was a Red Cross ship. And right across its bow was the name of the ship, Gratitude. She said she thought that was a nice little sign. And another friend of ours, um, Cheryl Mack, she lived near Ananda many years ago. She uh, worked at Ananda for many, many years. She lived in Lake Wildwood. And in 2009, she was diagnosed with cancer. 
And she went through it beautifully. And a friend said to her, how did you do that? How did you go through it so beautifully? And she said, well, I didn't resist it, and I didn't accept it. All I did was try to raise my consciousness. And that's what she focused on, was raising her consciousness above this. And she said, the night before I went to get my diagnosis, I was praying to Master. I prayed very hard. She said, but she started praying. She, first she prayed, Master, I give you this cancer. And then she thought, no, that's not right. And then she prayed, Master, I give you my illness. And no, that didn't feel right either. And then she heard Master's voice. And Master said, give me your fear. She said she never had fear after that. And um, she was cancer-free for a long time. She passed last year. So it's, it's a, um, what's the key here? The key is bringing up our consciousness because our consciousness has to go up higher so that we are in a place where we can receive what God has to give us. And if we're not, if we're too busy immersed in our senses and, and in our egos, and, and not even in a bad way in our egos, because we are in our egos. This is the condition that we're in. But um, we have to look above that. And uh, one of Yogananda's, well, she was one of his most advanced disciples. I mean, amongst all of them, he had many, many advanced disciples, was Kamala Silva. And um, she, in her book, she wrote called Flawless Mirror. And she said, it started out with an afternoon nap, and then it turned into a conscious dream, and then it continued when she woke up. And she saw, coming down the road, she saw a group of people. And she suddenly got excited because she knew that Master was amongst them and she was going to see Master. And so as they were going by, he looked over at her with a beatific smile. And so she thought, I want to go join and walk with him. So she went out and she started walking, as, and they were going at a fair clip. And so she had to hurry, and she caught up to them, and she was breathless. And she looked into Master's face. He looked over at her. When she looked into his face, there was nothing. It turned into formlessness. And the bliss that overcame her was just overwhelming, almost. That bliss was all Master was. And, you know, when disciples, when devotees get to the place where they're ready to be self-realized, then Master and all the gurus and God doesn't hide in all the forms anymore. It's like, no, you're, rest, you're ready just to have that formless experience. And what Kamala said, and I just wanted to read what she said, she said, um, she was conscious only of bliss. I was awake, directly awake, 
divinely awake. Looking into my guru's face, I had found the formless cosmic bliss. Afterward, I thought with reverent wonder how the flawless mirror of my guru reflects God. So to truly know God, we have to raise our consciousness up to his flawless mirror. So God bless you all. I'm going to play Celtic Moonrise. This is written by Swami Kriyananda. It's part of his Mystic Harp series. (laughs) 